Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash Games, or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health in these unprecedented times as well as how gaming affects us. If you're with us live in the chat and you leave a question that I, your community manager, Trevor Bettis, uh, will ask them later in the show. Uh, our topic today is resilience, uh, but before we get to that, uh, Mitra, Dr. B, who are you for the fine folks who may not know? So I'm a therapist working in Victoria, British Columbia. I absolutely love games. I often end up working with clients with games and issues around screens, screen times, games, tabletop games even. And I'm having a lot of trouble keeping this earpiece in my ear. So if you notice me going like this a lot, please don't worry about it. Just as you were. <laughs> as you, as do. you do. As you, as you do. will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I am Rafael Bocamazzo, better known as the Dr. B or just Dr. B for long Italian name reasons. And I am a doctor of clinical psychology and non-practicing doctor of clinical psychology. Uh, do nothing but policy and education these days as the clinical director over at TakeThis.org, the first mental, which was at the time the first mental health nonprofit to serve the game community. I am also an autism self-advocate as well as an expert on the applied use of role-playing games and just games in general in in clinical and learning settings and i'm happy to be here with you all to discuss resilience resilience <laughs> yes and uh, i i know uh the viewers uh it's, it's the audio got desynced again i thought i'd fixed it i guess i hadn't so here we are. We'll figure it out. I literally have closed every program but the ones that are keeping the show going. So I don't know what it is. Um, but resilience. We're going to be resilient to just keep going. Um, where do we want to start with resilience? Well, it helps to define things. Who wants to define resilience? Oh, oh, <laughs> you over there. <laughs> I think I just got voluntold. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I can do um, it. Okay. I can do it. Switch. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. We're keen on me doing it then. Okay. So resilience is that quality of being able to roll with the punches, really, more than anything else, to be able to cope with things. And sometimes we have a breaking point. In fact, each of us has a breaking point, and resilience can come and go in our lives depending on the circumstances surrounding it. But it's essentially that ability to go, I can tolerate this. I can manage this while at the same time not ignoring your feelings. And that's an important one because we can run roughshod over ourselves, but that's not actually going to help. I'm just going to do this now. So <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Mitra, you're, you're, you're telling us 
that resilience isn't the same thing as denial. Definitely not. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> You're in denial, <laughs> which ain't no river in anywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, what, I mean, there, there's so many, there's so many, I'm going to stumble over my own words just horribly. Um, we talked about this a lot yesterday in our pre-production meeting, and there are so many fantastic game metaphors for the concept of resilience. And just just bringing in an easy, and real easy one, constitution and wisdom saves. Absolutely. That's basically yes. what we're talking about here. The ability to get through both physically and mentally demanding tasks or things that just tax your ability to cope. And Mitra makes an incredibly powerful distinction in that part of getting through things is acknowledging that a problem exists in the first place. Denial in and of itself, um, basically sticking your fingers in your ears and going, la, 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 this isn't happening, can actually make things worse. Mm. But I really like doing that. It feels I'm nice. I'm going to be actually doing this quite a bit. So I don't really know where that fits with our conversation. But I just so, want to... I mean, as long, as long as... Listen, so Mitra, you are acknowledging that your your earbuds are not fitting properly. And you're working with the problem. I am. To address it. Yes. Mainly by jamming them in there really hard, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Champions of Psychology does not endorse sticking things in your ears. <laughs> that is a that's a good disclaimer to have. Really? <laughs> but one of, okay, so but one of the things that that Mitra brought up that I, I I really think we need to talk about is the idea that everybody has a breaking point. Like we we as a society fetishize this idea of mental and physical strength as if not mm. being resilient in a situation is some sort of moral failure mm -hmm. and those who get through situations are somehow more virtuous than the rest of us cool great yes however the the i we all have a breaking point and that is not a moral failure. It, it, it there there's a concept in psychology called the diathesis stress model, um, and it, it's a way of addressing this whole nature versus nurture idea. And the answer is kind of a is it nature versus nurture? And the answer is yes. Um, and, and it's this idea that we're born with certain genetic predispositions certain vulnerabilities and some of us are born with more vulnerabilities than others think of it like water in a water glass being filled up to a certain degree and what makes it overflow is the environment and it doesn't matter doesn't matter who we are, the environment can put enough into our glasses to make anybody's overflow. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, that this is such an important point that you're making because people have an idea of being, um, you know, a workhorse or something, you know, that we can plow through, we can, we're tough, we're sturdy. Um, 
And resilience is about sturdiness in some ways, absolutely. But we're not going to be sturdy over everything. And the piece that's also important is to bring in the context in which we're operating our lives so that I may be doing fine. I might be really super resilient. But then, you know, along comes a pandemic and I can't see any of my friends and I can't use any of the resources that I used to use and I can't go work out at the gym. Um, And what you don't realize until it happens is that those things are what you may not realize. Some of us know, of course, how important these things are in terms of our mental health, these activities. But for some people, it's like, yeah, that's what I do. And now I suddenly can't do my life and I'm going to be less resilient. I have less tools in my tool belt. And you you all been here for a while know about our self-help tool belt and what we talk Mm -hmm. about in terms of creating supports in our life. And that's what resilience is about. It's the outcome of the supports that we're able to create and the outcome of our experiences of getting through things that were tough. Um, And there are some things that really interfere with that. Um, So... Well, and another misconception that I, Mitra, I don't know if you run into this with the the clients you work with, but something that back in the days when I did work with clients, a a really common misconception that we often worked with was the idea that because somebody is struggling with something, it meant they weren't somehow getting through it Mm. as if they, on some level, a lot of people seem to equate resilience with things are easy. Mm. Mm. And those are, you know, sometimes things just suck. Mm -hmm. And just because things suck and you're struggling doesn't mean you're not getting through it. Cause sometimes, I mean, we, if we're going back to game metaphors, sometimes, sometimes boss battles are hard. Boss battles are meant to be hard, (laughs) but it doesn't mean you get it, but you can still get through it and it can still be hard. And I, I think we need to challenge ourselves as a whole that we need to start incorporating this idea that First of all, resilience is not denial. Resilience is not avoidance. Resilience is not us metaphorically going and going, la, 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 this isn't happening, this isn't happening. But resilience also doesn't mean that things are easy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think that, unfortunately, um, the way our media presents um, how heroes deal with challenges can be unfortunate in that you get sort of a montage, you know, of them Mm -hmm. kind of coping with something or working out hard or, you know, kind of going through a difficult (laughs) phase, right? And then it's over, you know, then they emerge stronger. But life isn't about a montage. Life is about kind of coping day after day. And we, there's something about how we sit with other people's pain um, that makes it anxious making much of the time Uh, for people to cope with the fact that someone else is in pain and they want to remove that distress. They want to remove the cause Mm -hmm. of the pain. Um, And you can't, you know, a piece of it is to be present and supportive during someone's struggle, but to recognize that it is their struggle. And while you can make parts of it easier, you can't hurry it along. And that goes for the struggle you see other people encountering. And of course it goes for your own. And to some degree, it even goes for the struggle struggle of your kids you can protect up to a point you can support you can 
Um, but, you know, if they're having a falling out with their best friend and that makes the next few days or weeks of school really tough, that's life. That's part of their journey. So resilience is what we build up when we go through difficult times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I, it, in my mind, it harkens back to something Trevor brought up. I did. Dark Souls. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, what it, what is it you said about the lessons that Dark Souls taught you? Oh, geez. I mean, uh, the basically not giving up. Like it, it's it's going. It, it tells you from the get. Literally, the back of the first game's box said, "Prepare to die," because that is what you are going to do a lot. <laughs> and so, yeah. I, Beating your head against the the wall that is that that boss fight is you for like if someone told me, oh yeah, you know, like I got all the way up to the abyss watchers, then I I couldn't beat them and I stopped playing. I would I'd be like I get that that is a difficult as hell boss fight. And if you weren't having fun, don't play it. It's as, it's as easy as that. Like that that is a uh, not a struggle you have to force yourself through. <laughs> um, but uh, that was one that, like, I remember, I I think it took me about eight times going up against them, and I finally did it, and I literally jumped off my couch cheering because <laughs> I did it. <laughs> well, it, it... And, and I know Mitra is going to really jump on board with this, but one of, one of the beefs I have, I have with this fetishized notion of, you know, mental strength through all things is, is this individualistic concept that we all have to do this on our own. And that's a very, mm. in many respects, that's a very Western culturally anchored idea. Um, there are, there are concepts in psychology that talk about, um, maybe some of you have heard of, of what's called the locus of control. Mm -hmm. um, talked about on the show. Yeah. We, yeah, but I don't remember if we talked about the locus of responsibility. Mm -hmm. No, I've not heard that one. Okay, as, well, as I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up a name that I know Mitra loves, uh, Donald Wing Sue. Um, Absolutely. And uh, Sue talked about uh, Wing Sue talked about this idea in cultural perspectives of the locus of responsibility. So this locus of control and locus of responsibility, and it talks about basically the systems that are in play around us. And to, to bring this into a gaming metaphor, like if you go into a campaign setting in, in like Dungeons and Dragons or any tabletop role playing game where the environment itself, like let's say you go into like a psychic realm where everything's constantly shifting around you and every five minutes you have to roll a wisdom, a wisdom save. How long are you going to make it in there? Like you could, in certain circumstances, you might be the 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 most strong character you could think of, but there's only so much you can do when the environment and the systems are are breaking you down. Exactly, and that's not something that we see addressed in a lot of these these myths, these montages, these presentations of our our heroes, especially in American well North American culture. Um, you know, we just see, you know, the individual who's, you know, su succeeding against all odds. Well, what are those all odds? <laughs> there's, uh, there's a lot that gets in the way of our ability to thrive just on a systemic level. And we often don't take those into account when we start feeling guilty. 
about our ability to not do certain things. Absolutely. I think it is uh, the challenge, and we were, I think, talking about this yesterday, is that when individuals mm-hmm. have been in a context for a while, um, it's like the survival has kind of kicked in to cope with it. And there's a part of you that might forget or set aside how just how challenging your context has been. So, you know, I've had people come in to my office and say, I've been struggling with a divorce and I've been, I've had to move and um, I'm in the middle of a legal battle, you know, with my ex um, and, you know, my mother's getting really sick. And, um, and then after that, that's what we've set, you know, that's kind of the stage, if you will. And then they say, but I'm really, I'm, it's, I'm finding it really difficult to get ahead at work. Or, you know, these courses that I was doing, I'm finding it really difficult to get through. And I'm thinking, of course you are. You know, like, have you, yeah. have you, have you met your life? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> have you met your life? <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> Well, and it, uh, Roland uh, HTG uh, brings something up in in chat that I this is something I actually address in a lot of the workshops I give to uh, to a lot of game studios and so forth that the systems in place contribute in many respects more to the wellness of the people involved than the individual can because you can only do you can only do so much with the adventuring gear you're given. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, if you live in a system that is constantly beating you down, of course you're not going to be able to get ahead with the same ease that somebody else who doesn't have those same systemic obstacles. Right. And and yet we fetishize this individual achievement. Yeah. And we feel guilty when we're somehow not achieving it. We routinely mention people who have had tremendous success, financial or otherwise, and we forget about the fact that maybe they went to Harvard or maybe their parents, you know, had a lot of money and maybe their parents fronted their first company or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not. The term self-made kind of mm. misses out who, el- who else helped make you or what advantages you came in with. But I right. can tell you that... A lot of times, if you're a cis white dude, you're probably doing the video game on the easy setting compared to what it's been like for many people in the world. Uh, when when I was a kid, this is such a little kid thought. Anytime I'd hear someone say I'm a self-made man or like something like that, I literally would picture them like, no, they started at a farm because that's how all jobs start, I guess. <laughs> like, like it was like they got they got dirty with it and then they slowly built it up bigger and bigger. And it was that that's that's how I always pictured it as a child. And, and I'm going to be very clear that when I say that, I certainly don't mean every person in the world who is not yeah. a person of color. Let's let's be really clear. I am saying, though, that I think in society that is unequal and more patriarchal, and is not so kind to all minorities, we can see some real variation in people's capacity Mm -hmm. to achieve their goals, particularly if there's been financial support for them and if there's been educational support for them. You know, it is it does make things easier. And so for people who didn't have that and have kind of really had to struggle, um, please recognize that uh, when you see other people having it easier, it is entirely possible that they do. And this doesn't 
um, this doesn't take away from that personal responsibility piece as well, um, or from your capacity to achieve in the future. But it does, mm -hmm. you do need to take a look, not just at your own capacity at this idea of being able to get through, but the circumstances that you're dealing with, you know, if they include a bereavement or a loss or, you know, some challenge, it's development as in how we progress in the world isn't like a linear thing. It gets interrupted mm -hmm. all along the way by these challenges we encounter. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so this is, uh, you know, if I want you all to in the in the chat in the audience to take away one thing, it, it's this idea that re resilience is not entirely about you. The campaign setting in which you play has a big, big influence yeah. on how you are able to cope with environmental stressors. And Mitra brings up a lot of really good points here. Like for any of us who ever played the Oregon Trail growing up, <laughs> it's a lot easier to play as a banker who starts with 2000 yeah. than it is to play as a carpenter who starts with 400. Yeah. You know, you can get more supplies. You can build up a better network. You can have better equipment. Um, you know, uh, for, for Terry Pratchett found, fans out there, the Vimes theory of boot economics is another good example. <laughs> Um, it, it's, sir, look that up if you're not familiar. It's, it's brilliant. Inspector I, I, I don't know why this popped into my head when you're talking about this, but it made me think of the the old Daniel Toss joke that uh, money can't buy happiness is bull because try frowning on a wave runner. <laughs> <laughs> well, so okay, so I I will say this that um when I was married, I was married to a to a woman who had a pretty darn successful job. And uh, I did not come from a, a, a family with a lot of money. I had to put myself through school and all of the student loans and everything that entails. And suddenly I was in a marriage where um, my, my wife made, frankly, more money than I ever dreamed about. <laughs> and to her, it was just normal. To me, I'm just like, I'm sorry, what? Um, <laughs> and having been there temporarily and now not having that again... Uh, I, I will say money makes a difference. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It is true. Money makes a big difference. Yeah, money may not be able to buy happiness, but what it does is it eases the other challenges you experience. In other words, it raises your other stats. Um, and yep. you have you you have more time. You're not in survival mode to the same degree, right. I hope. You know, of course, some people who are in an unhappy um situation with their spouses some things are made easier but if you don't have the wonderful connection that's going to lower your stats again so mm -hmm. right when i didn't have to worry when i didn't have to worry about uh health insurance on a regular basis when i didn't have to worry about dental care yeah. when the idea the idea that uh, this this was actually my measure of success in life um that if that if the car were to break down and we needed to replace it, it was an inconvenience instead of a crisis. Mm. And that mind, sh that shift, that mindset was a huge difference that the idea mm. that routine medical bills weren't an emergency Yeah. that no, maybe the money didn't buy the happiness directly, but the fact that we, I wasn't, I was no longer on like survival mode all the time 
and yeah. could build upon that foundation, that made a huge difference. And so systems are a huge part of resilience. Yeah. Um, you put in, so we, we, we met yesterday, listeners and viewers, and talked about this stuff. And over the night, Dr. B found some more stuff uh, in a, a paper that he wrote. What You, you have a section here about trauma. Excellent. What, what, what's, what is going on there? Uh, trauma? <laughs> well, okay. I mean, He's keen on talking about it, I can tell. <laughs> it, <laughs> trauma. Well, I mean, if we want to get into it, uh, there was the one time the boot had teeth and, the, and then it was coming for me and that was a weird nightmare. But I don't know. All right. But if shall I dive in there? <laughs> yeah, no, go go for it. I'm I, I will admit I'm I, it's because uh, because it it's a chap book chapter I wrote. I'm really self conscious about. <laughs> You're fine. So you were talking about uh, managing post traumatic stress, <clears throat> and you use the example of several um, games. And I admit, I admit I read it late at night. And so um, I'm just going to talk about... You had the boot dream too? <laughs> Luckily, no. I had no dreams. I fell into a deep and dreamless sleep, one which did not involve having to stick things too hard into my ears either. But let's stay on track <laughs> here. Um, so trauma interferes with our capacity to get past survival and into thrival. And overcoming or moving through trauma um, makes, let's look at this. So if you've got trauma on one hand and you've got the resilience you're trying to bring to the situation on the other, sometimes they kind mm -hmm. of seesaw like this, right? Some days you might have a little more capacity to thrive and to move forward. And sometimes that resilience is taken up with just helping you survive. It's like being in a boss fight and you've got your healer and sometimes the healer has enough mana to really kind of keep you healed as you cope with this. And sometimes the mana drains and you're exhausted and you're more at risk. And that's kind mm -hmm. of how resilience works with trauma in that your traumatic experience that you're kind of struggling with or managing, the symptoms of which might be anxiety, sleeplessness, difficulty focusing. Um, just to mention a couple of them, um, that's going to affect how much resilience you're able to put towards other aspects of your life. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the things that... One of the things that I, I wrote in that chapter is, um, first of all, fear responses are functional. Absolutely. Fear keeps us alive when there's a legitimate danger out there, because that we also have we also have this fetish this fetishized idea that you know heroes don't feel fear. That is complete bull. Yeah, it's the opposite. Oh. You you're proceeding in spite or with your fear. You and your fear are walking hand in hand towards whatever it is you're trying to conquer. It's not like your fear right. goes anywhere. The more experience mm -hmm. you have dealing with something, and we call it exposure, exposure therapy, but the more experience you have coping with something, the more resilience you build up to cope with that particular situation, 
which can have a really good overflow effect on other things. As in, I coped with this one thing over here, pretty sure I can manage this other situation. We can bring our strengths with us. And and so we, we've been talking a lot about um, like systemic obstacles to a sense of resilience, but um, one of the things I wrote about pretty heavily in this in this book chapter are, um, especially when it comes to potential trauma events, because one of the things, I, I want to be clear about something. We have all been exposed, statistically speaking, pretty much all of us have been exposed to what could be considered a traumatic event. That's something that has the potential to cause trauma. Um, mm -hmm. If we want to narrowly define it the way the DSM does, it's um, either firsthand or secondhand exposure to um, grievous bodily harm, threatened or actual death or sexual violence. And we've all, pretty much all of us, have been exposed to stuff like that one way or the other. But I go into really heavily in this book chapter on what are the things that the individual and systemic factors that can lead to some people developing post-trauma symptoms versus those who kind of just move with it. So I'm going to mention something that was traumatic for me that we could look at as almost trauma with a small T because as a practicing therapist, we often talk about trauma with a small T. This does mm -hmm. not mean it doesn't affect your daily experience, okay? It does not mean it didn't have an impact. Um, so when I was five living in Pakistan, Pakistan was at war with India and I lived through something called the Indo-Pakistan war. I was living in Karachi and Karachi was bombed. Karachi was being bombed. And a thing we wow. did, um, was we put, um, we blacked out our, well, first of all, we covered our windows with newspaper and we blacked them out with black paint. And this was because if there was a chink of light, your house could be bombed. So you wanted to make sure nothing was seen. Okay, so blacked out the windows, heavy curtains over them, you know, going out only at certain times during the day. There were rations on sugar and so on, you know, milk, whatever, all the things. And we, at night, um, we had kerosene lamps or candles that we only used in certain parts of the house. And I remember my aunt playing a game with one of her cousins, a board game, under the stairs with a kerosene lamp in the middle of the house, mm. nowhere near mm. any of the windows, even though they were blacked out. So for many years, my husband didn't understand why at night I was always very carefully drawing the curtains. And I'm going to tell mm. you right now, I forgot that I had lived through yeah. this I mean, I, I hadn't forgotten that it happened. And if you'd said, hey, have you lived through a war? I would have said, yeah, and I remember the air raid sirens. I would have said that. I did remember. What I did not remember was the effect it had on my daily life with this curtain business. And, you know, if somebody carelessly uh, drew a curtain and didn't completely cover the window, I'd have to fix it. And I'm not the world's most tidy person. Hmm. I'm going to tell you right now. But but in this way, I was like immaculate. You see the curtains behind me? My curtains had to look like that all the time at night once it was dark. Hmm. So it took me years. But then I realized, wait a second. That's where this comes from. Yeah. So when we talk about trauma, we're talking sometimes also about 
we're obviously we're talking about serious trauma and how it impacts your resilience in ways that you might not recognize. But I want to also bring in this piece around um, how trauma, things that you don't quite remember, also sap your energy, create anxiety. Um, if you have ever had a near drowning experience, maybe you did learn to swim, but maybe there's always a piece of you that's anxious being in boats. I don't know, but it's something worth considering mm-hmm. because it may be having an impact on your experience and yeah. it can therefore impact your resilience. And, you know, you're getting, you're getting more into something that uh, is a relatively new-ish term mm-hmm. within, within mental health and that's called post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this one. It, but I don't this, know what it means. What, <laughs> well, it's this idea that over the course of the history of psychology and psychiatry, the much of the default has been getting people back to sort of baseline functioning. Mm-hmm. And in the last 40-ish years, there's been more and more questions being brought up of, okay, well, if we get people back to baseline, what if we can get them beyond that into a thriving state? And this idea of post-traumatic growth kind of asks the question, how can we take a trauma event, and a trauma event will broadly define as an inescapable event that is stressful enough to completely overwhelm our ability to cope. Um, if If we take that trauma and we not only get back to baseline, but we use it in a way to create change to get us past baseline to help us thrive. That's this idea of post-traumatic growth. And um, I'm, I'm hesitant to get into all of, all of the factors mm-hmm. that can go into it, just looking at the time. Um, yeah, we uh, got to take a break here in a moment. But uh, yeah, uh, we, we got a little bit more to, to, to talk about this one. I feel like we could almost do... Uh, more than uh, a uh, half a topic's worth <laughs> for uh, for that one. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and take our break to remind our viewers and listeners of our disclaimer, and we will be right back. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Okay, sorry, I inter- I interrupted you on that one. <laughs> well, I, um, I kind of interrupted me. <laughs> hey, give me the segue to it. Um, so the the where 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 do is there any more that you want to do about the the trauma aspect of this or? I mean, yeah, I mean, we want to when we think about things. It, this is largely defined around trauma events, but mm-hmm. I, I there's overlap in some of these things in terms of resilience within the rest of our lives. 
And there's this idea of resilience factors before a trauma event called pre-event factors. There's resilience factors around the time of the event itself called peri-event factors. And then there's the stuff afterwards called post-event factors. And some of this stuff is really not going to be shocking to people. Like this mm -hmm. idea that um, certain pre-event factors that can contribute to people's either resilience or vulnerability mm -hmm. to stressful events. Things like childhood stability. I mean, we t Mitra and I talked about that. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the, the idea that if you have a, a more stable foundation on which to build, it's easier to get back to, you know, to get back to where you want to be if the, ha you know, if the house gets knocked down in this metaphor. Mm -hmm. um, but incidentally, also a realistic, flexible belief in one's ability to cope and a flexible, realistic sense of optimism. It's not this sort of, Again, it's not a denial of facts. It's this idea that I'm, I've handled things in the past. I can handle things in the present. It's a question of how, and it's a question of how awful is this going to be. <laughs> not that this is going to be a piece of cake, but you know what? I've gotten through stuff in the past, and I can get through stuff again. And um, but additionally, a, predis a predisposition towards anxiety for some of us, and I'm one of them who have a more anxious disposition to begin with, mm -hmm. we tend to be a little bit more vulnerable to um, to things overwhelming us. Uh, things around the time of the event, the peri event factors. Well, I mean, the event itself. You know, if if the more significantly distressing an event is, the more extreme an event is, the more it's likely going to have a long-lasting impact on you. Right. Um, and then... You know, Mitra brought up a great example. Yeah. And then in terms of, of post-event support, um, it helps if people believe you. It's actually mm -hmm. huge. How much support you get after the event is a really big piece of it. Um, oh, yeah. Do you get to talk about it? Did other people experience it with you? And are they present or did they go into survival mode? And did you therefore mm -hmm. not really get to discuss the effect? Um, right. In terms of one thing that that is seems unrelated, so forgive me, but um, a lot of people who've had to deal with multiple migration, particularly as children, talk about the loss of home. Um, and I'm not just talking about refugees. I'm even talking about people whose maybe a parent or two parents were in the military and there was a lot of travel and, and, and therefore mm. some chaos. I mean, there might be some certainty because bases look the same or if your parents were diplomats, the houses can look nice. But the fact is you had to leave a community and find your way in another. Mm -hmm. Some of these kids deal a lot with loss and grief over place and it's traumatic for them because at certain ages we're just not in a place to move we really need the stability around us to thrive so this can be experienced as traumatic um, and in some cases there wasn't a lot of family support it was like well on to the next thing what an adventure you know and there may not have been a lot of room to kind of process the loss so when we talk about um, the pre and during and post experience of, of trauma, such a big piece of managing and thriving through it is how it gets processed. 
sure what mm -hmm. we came into, how armored were we for that particular boss fight, you know, what experience did we have with an event. But the afterwards is actually a huge piece. You know, there and there's a lot of research yep. to show that when people deal with assault in one form or another, um, the support around how lovingly, how carefully, how caringly they are treated afterwards makes a massive difference. Mm -hmm. Connectedness and community really are, uh, and this, so there, I mean, there's different research that exists for, you know, different factors, and some of it is, you know, inconclusive, but we've said this before, and we're going to say this again, connectedness and community are really mm -hmm. two things that are consistently positive markers for our ability to cope with stress. Mm -hmm. in a way that is functional. And that's really what we're talking about when it comes to resilience. And both before, both after, both during, are, do we feel alone? Do we feel helpless? Do we feel, like Mitra said, we can, feel, we can be heard, that we can process our experiences in our own way, in our own time? And um, it's, yeah, I, I, basically, your adventuring party, that is one of the greatest pillars to your own resilience. Do you have yes. help from the outside? This is why I will just rally against this idea of the self-made hero, the individual, because nobody nobody succeeds on their no. own. And it's mm. also nobody. why it's so important to talk about mental health issues. Because the more we can reduce the stigma and have open and caring and supported conversations about mental health, the easier it is to stay resilient through our mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. I might have to let a cat out. <laughs> okay. The bell has been lovely. Yeah. Sorry, I have been quiet this one because this is one that I definitely kind of wanted to just listen more of. I don't have as much to, to put in on it. Um, but the the, la the last thing we've got here on there is the the things that strengthen our resilience. Mm -hmm. um, and what what do you want to say about that one? I think several things um, really do. We've already addressed the idea of community, which I think is a really big one. Um, mm -hmm. Validation, that's another really big one. Um, events that we can recall coming through and resources we were able to kind of use. So um, if, for instance, you're going through a challenging time, I'm gonna use the example of say you're coming out in some way or another, and you're able to tap into a community of people um, who've had that experience, and you're able to tap into their wisdom and support of what that was like. Um, I can think back to a time when I was a new mom, um, and I was lucky enough to have a community of moms around me Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful because it's a pretty scary time. You're pretty sure you're going to mess up real bad. And <laughs> you don't feel quite ready for this. Um, but to have the support of other people who are going through the same thing, as well as the support of very experienced parents who can offer how they coped with challenges, right? And maybe occasionally therapy as well. Um, because that's how we build up what's going to be resilience for us because resilience is specific to each of us. There's some general rules, but then there's the things that we just love that help us, you know, um, 
if there's any time for a hobby or to get together with a friend and, and do a fun thing together, these are things that add to our resilience because they fill our cup. They make it easier to mm-hmm. cope with the challenges we experience. One, one, um, one thing that's very big in coping with challenges, regardless of whether they raise to the level of capital T trauma or not, is the ability to derive meaning from them. And for a lot of people moving, not past, because there's no cure for memories, okay? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was a weird movie for a reason, (laughs) okay? Um, Memories stay with us, and moving with those memories and creating positive meaning out of them is is an important step for a lot of folks in building their own sense of resilience. I mean, I'll say there's a reason I do what I do. My, my childhood was quirky. Hmm. Um, and I wanna take a lot of those experiences and use them to help others to derive meaning from that. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to look at one's life narrative, both as a retrospective and in the future, and create the kind of meaning that we want, that's, that can be an important step for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm thinking about, it just kind of came to me because these moments do. (laughs) I'm thinking about that moment in Goodwill Hunting where the Robin Williams character says to the Matt Damon character, it's not your fault. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the Matt Damon character had experienced a lot of abuse at the hands of his father who was quite physically violent with him. The problem with that is we kind of take in this idea as a child that we deserve it, right? Um, if I, if we weren't loved properly, it must mean we're unlovable. And so mm-hmm. to be told over and over again, it's not your fault. Because the thing is, we often do take responsibility for a context over which we have no control. Right. And and particularly as a, as a child, we have no control. And if someone attacks or hurts or harms us, we have no control, yet we blame ourselves. We have an assumption of control in these situations that simply isn't true. So for a very serious moment, I want to say, look, if anybody has hurt you, that's on them. And there is a piece of us that tends to shut down at those times because we go into fight, flight, or freeze. We have less capacity in those times because a part of our body, an evolutionary part, comes in to support us so that we don't die. And it determines what's going to happen next. We don't have access to the rest of our brain. This is a different side of our brain. So when we feel like we should have fought back, we should have done this, we should have done that. No, in that moment, we did what we could do and we did what we knew. And that's really just important to take in because it's oh, a yeah. huge piece of how we gain resilience afterwards. Well, and to, to build off of that a little bit, thinking about that, it's not your fault scene because it's a very powerful scene. It, and I, I will say I experienced this with, I have a, a pretty extensive capital T trauma history um, that I don't give specifics about publicly, but mm-hmm. um when that's pressed against because you, it, people do create narratives around how they are and how the world is and if that narrative is pressed against too quickly we tend to fight back because i we've spent in many of our cases decades 
functioning in the world a certain way. And so I'm uh, Mitra likes to bring up the idea of the zone of proximal development, this idea that in order for us to change, there's a sweet spot. And that's why this is part of the reason that, uh, again, back when I used to work with people, we use the metaphor of leveling up slowly. You don't, you don't come in as a level one wizard and fight a Tarrasque. Mm. Like, ever. Ever. <laughs> you have to take <laughs> on what you comedy. can. Yeah, you have to take on what you can and trust your capacity instead of pushing right. yourself mm. beyond it because it's how you build resilience. If right. you were to go work out... You wouldn't start with the hardest weight machines or whatever. My shoulder says otherwise. <laughs> I got to make an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's uh, let's check in with chat and see what they have been up to during this conversation. Uh, Reaver01 says, uh, is there any difference between uh, short-term resilience dealing with a specific situation or stress and long-term resilience, uh, pandemic, major life-changing events, etc.? I mean, understanding if you're in the midst of a marathon, not a sprint, makes a big difference. So mm -hmm. just taking, having, a, a, figuring out what sorts of challenge you're up against can help you also create your party in order to move through that challenge better. So mm -hmm. I'd say there is, though, because a short-term challenge uh, might not be as, and will not be as, exhausting for your system mm -hmm. because you'll have yeah. time to, re you know, you, you, you come in hopefully in a recovered, in a healthy state, and then you move through whatever it is. And then hopefully you can move into a recovery state sooner than something that's a year or two. That's a grind. That's different. You have yeah. to continue yeah. to try to recover. You cannot push through a situation like a pandemic. Cause I think we've all learned. So, yeah, it's with short-term situations, there's a lot more, there are a lot more opportunities just to be like, listen, I'll ignore it, it'll go away, and I'm just going to do my own thing. And it, that's, there's, there's a subtle line there between suppression and repression, but that's a different debate for a different time. But um, you, you can't do that with long-term stressors. Long-term stressors have to get dealt with one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I can't just distract myself through long-term stressors because then that becomes a form of avoidance and then things yep. get worse. I'm, I'm going yep. to also bring in the idea that a short-term extreme stress can still lead to um, a long-term challenge in terms of processing something. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. um, if there's an accident and then a subsequent death, so the initial crisis right. we can kind of cope with, and then even the decisions around funerals and all the rest of it. But then afterwards, our system has still been really profoundly shocked, um, especially if we didn't see an event coming. It's not like a loved one was ill for some time and we kind of get our heads around it. We get to say goodbye. That's very different, of course. And so, yeah, there's a whole process of coping with that. And uh, in the months and years following there's a continued healing process. So. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, that brings us back to this idea of the, how, how extreme the event is. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the level of distress, again, uh, the level one wizard level, you know, fighting a Tarrasque. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. squishy wizard friend. I, I, I can, I can hide all the dice rolls I want behind that screen. Still not going to go well for you. Nope. Um, That's going to be like Godzilla versus Bambi. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> 
So, uh, so our, Mar- our, our Mod Martin grabbed this one because it would uh, they thought it'd be a good uh, topic conversation, which I agree. Uh, Tiny Pencil said, uh, trauma can make you funnier, though. And I so. I, I, re- I relate to that. Um, there is, yes, so, for, for people who don't know, uh, I, uh, I'm donor-conceived, which means I don't have a dad. And I used to make a joke all the time because people would be like, do you ever want to meet your donor? And I'm, and I'm like, and I, there was a joke that a stand-up comedian did a long time ago that I kind of co-opted. And I was just like, no, because I'm afraid I'm going to go up to him and be like, you're my dad. And he's going to be like, you're beer money. And it's it's a funny joke, but oh. it was true. Um, and I didn't really realize, because I, I just thought it was a funny joke. I didn't realize how true that was, though, until like I actually got to read the donor sheet. And he put on there, why are you doing this? And he said, because it seems mutually beneficial to both parties and I'm happy to help. And I just started crying. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. That was a real thing that I was laughing about. Ah, all right, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Although the idea that you have to suffer to be creative is a bit of a myth. Absolutely. Mm, I do actually yeah. have to let a cat out. One second. <laughs> okay. But I That's will fine. say, uh, a lot of my best jokes come out of pathos. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I will say that. A lot of the people around me have said, Almost oh, mo, mo. <laughs> have said my best jokes come from angry Dr. B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that is true. I... I Angry Trevor does somehow still stay funny. Um, yes, the chat is now lighting up with Katie. Oh and God, Pat. I'm sorry, chat. I know how we all get. I know, I know. <laughs> but no, I like. I I definitely do understand where that was coming from with it. Um, because yeah, I've definitely made jokes and stuff about trauma and stuff like that. And uh, one hand, it's a it's a good funny joke. On the other hand, just lets me bypass those feelings real fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What's up, deflection? Yeah. And sometimes that's super useful, right? Because if you say to someone, yeah, my mom died, you know, when I was 13 or whatever, and they go into, oh, I'm so sorry mode. And you're like, you know what? I don't want to feel like that kid right now. Yeah. Right. So I'm just going to make a dead mom joke or something. Exactly. And no one, no one wants to, well, sometimes that's okay and appropriate, but a lot of the time, no, if a thing happened to you, you don't want to manage other people's feelings around it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want a lifting cat Olympics. That's working for me. Critical mm-hmm. curiosity. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm about right. Yes. Like that's a good trap move. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like. Yeah. No, we're gonna get into the main coon cat division and just. <laughs> v oh. V Muse held up her main coon cat during a marketing meeting yesterday, and it, it was the long cat. Um... <laughs> I'd rather have long cat than long COVID. That's for sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Now things wow. are just coming out of me. <laughs> Speaking of dark humor, know, right? wow! Um, oh God. Well, I don't know a better way to to wrap up the conversation <laughs> oh, on that man. one. Uh, <laughs> that's where we're at. Bow ties coming undone. It is. Um, so yeah, uh, chat. There was a lot of great questions and observations in here. I'm sorry I didn't uh, get to all of them, but thank you again for uh, putting them in there so we can grab them and uh, possibly talk about them. Uh, Mitra, Doctor B, where can people find you uh, if they would like to do so on the interwebs? So I'm at Mitra Jordan. That's my Twitter handle. Um, I have a website, MitraJordan.com. You're uh, welcome to reach out to either, um, and Doctor B is. Everywhere. 
<laughs> I'm now on Twitch. He is. <laughs> I'm hosting four times a week study Ooh. sessions. <laughs> and you got affiliate through it. I made affiliate in a week and a half doing that. Oh man, look look, studying it actually is good for something. Who it, knew? It's body it's body doubling study sessions where I'm just on camera studying quietly and other people are joining in. People are because of my baritone voice, people are calling it D, uh, Dr. BSMR. It uh, <laughs> <laughs> But you can find all of my socials at the Dr. B. That's T H E E D O C T O R B as in boy. See, I want I want to do a a, a co-stream now where it's you quietly studying and it's me quietly building Gundam. So occasionally there's just a snip from the that's thing. that's basically what we're doing. It's just other people are working on their projects. I'm I I I, I I'm doing my stuff. I'm working on flashcards yeah. and p people are writing. People are folding laundry. Whatever. It's ridiculous. Even after I'm done with this, I'm probably going to still do it just to paint minis. Oh my god! I, I think look, I think it's absolutely great. When I was having to get through my master's, it was always really helpful to be in a room with someone else because otherwise my ADHD, man, it would just... Oh, uh, yeah. You well, know what we I'm should do? We should autism. get a cup of tea. We should get this. We should do that. Ooh, I forgot to call my aunt. Like, <laughs> you know? Right. So. That, that, that was literally three seconds in the mind of an ADHD I know. Person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shiny. You three I'm just going to Look at this. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, you can find me uh, on uh, the Difficulty Class podcast every Friday, as well as Champions Lore every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time here on twitch.tv slash CNE Games, as well as on Twitter at the Trevor. There is an eight hiding in there. Uh, thank you, Martin, for moderating in the chat today. Uh, and thank you to Codename Entertainment Take This for uh, giving us an opportunity to have these discussions. Uh, if you missed any part of this show, you can listen to it later as a podcast. Yes, there is a podcast. I say it every episode, but please go listen to the podcast. It's a really good podcast. I'm going to say podcast again. Go listen to the podcast. Uh, it posts to the podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> uh, if you have any suggestions for future topics, you can send them to Champions of Psychology at codenameentertainment.com. Uh, let's see if uh, you're live with us right now. Uh, we've got uh, Bardic Inspiration at 1 p.m. Dylan and uh, uh, Jason Charles Miller are going to be doing songs about gods, godly music, and whatnot. And you can help them choose which deity they're going to do. Uh, but uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode. So until next week, take care of yourself. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.